You can't spell inclusion without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. Welcome to the show. You're listening to episode one of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. I'm Dean Askin. This is a brand new podcast on disability and employment coming to you from Toronto, Canada. And I'm Jeanette Campbell. And this is kind of a really big step forward for us here at the Ontario Disability Employment Network. We have finally taken the plunge and started this podcast, You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. As we were putting together this first episode, someone asked us how we came up with that title. They wanted to know what's behind it. Well, this first episode you're listening to is being launched in October. That's National Disability Employment Awareness Month or ending as it's known for short. One of the things ending does is help raise awareness that disability needs to be included in the conversation about diversity inclusion or DNI. Often the business conversation about diversity and inclusion focuses on things like gender or ethnicity and disability is often overlooked. So in other words, everybody's talking about inclusion without a D. So there you have it on this first episode we're exploring the power of inclusion. We really wanted to bring business and government together to talk about employment and disability and the power of inclusion. So we intentionally aimed high to get those two perspectives for our first episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. Now, you can't get much higher than this in Canada when it comes to that government perspective on disability inclusion. Joining us is Carla Qualtro, Canada's Federal Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability Inclusion. Minister, welcome to the program and thank you for taking the time to be part of our first episode. We're also joined by Zara Jadavji from Accenture. One of the most recent studies about disability inclusion is by Accenture. It was done in 2018. It's called Getting to Equal, the Disability Inclusion Advantage, and we'll be talking about some of the findings in that report. Zara is Accenture Managing Director and Inclusion and Diversity Lead for Canada. Zara, thanks to you as well for joining us on this first episode. So, now that we have you both here, I want to put this to you. American poet Maya Angelou once said this, and she summed up inclusion this way. She said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So, I want to know, what does the power of inclusion mean to you? And perhaps Minister Qualtro, um, you'll do the honors of being the first guest to answer the very first question on this very first episode of the show. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I, I'm honored and I'm thrilled that we're having this conversation. My entire life, I have spent advocating for inclusion for people with disabilities as a person with disabilities, my, with a disability myself. Um, I think this conversation is long overdue and I, very strongly believe in the power of inclusion. So for me personally, and I've tried to uh, get this through all of our government decisions as well at the federal level, inclusion means giving everybody the opportunity to succeed and participate fully in their communities, in their workplaces, in political life, in social life, and uh, civically. You know, inclusion is about 
maximizing the potential of everyone and not having any barriers to achieve that full potential. Zora, what do you think? Well, I'll, I'll start by uh, echoing uh, Minister Paltrow's sentiment on, on thanking, uh, thanking you for having me on. And um, in terms of quote, there's another quote that really resonates with me when I think of, of uh, inclusion. And that is from Verna Myers, who's an, who's an American author and, and diversity advocate. And what she says is diversity is getting included to the part, diversity is getting invited to the party. Inclusion <laughs> is being asked to dance. And, and I think that that really makes sense to me. And so what the power of inclusion means to me is it's a place where each and every person has a strong sense of belonging. Each and every single person can freely demonstrate their unique values by being their authentic selves and have equal access to opportunities. And this is regardless of their ethnicity, their religion, their gender, their sexual orientation, their, sex, their gender identity, their age, or their disability. Um, and so if I come at it from the, the corporate world, the power of inclusion, I think, starts at the top. Uh, and, and at Accenture, we're firm believers that, that rich diversity and, and inclusion make our company smarter, make it more innovative, and, and that in turn helps us better serve the needs of our clients and our communities. And in fact, our, our global uh, CEO, Julie Sweet, has uh, uh, stated that Accenture, we want to be the most inclusive and diverse company in the world. And, and that statement speaks to me and it speaks to our workforce. Um, and so to me, the, the power of inclusion is, is just about that fostering a culture uh, throughout organizations uh, from the top and throughout of belonging and uh, equal access. Do you think part of the problem is that there's still a, a lack of understanding broadly that diversity and inclusion are two different things where you can you can have a diverse workforce but if those people don't feel safe and valued then that's not inclusion i mean still too often the disability factor gets left out you know i've read a lot of research reports and studies for the materials i've i've written and everybody talks about whether you know whether it's Deloitte reports or or you know academic reports people are talking mostly about gender and ethnicity. Why do you think this is still happening? I mean, how do we move the needle here? Minister? Really important question, and certainly I've seen it happen um, my entire career, you know, as a human rights lawyer and now as a politician, we've, we've tended to other disability in a way that isn't terribly helpful. We've talked about diversity very specifically around gender and ethnicity, as you've said, and disability is we talk about the duty to accommodate, we talk about um, like almost like an afterthought. It's not kind of fundamentally t uh, part of our discussions around differences and how difference uh, impacts, you know, quality decision making or how difference factors into inclusive decision making. Um, my personal thought on this, to be honest, is we've done very well in Canada on the duty to accommodate. It, we've we've really recognized that there's a need to. Um, retrofit, whether it be policies or buildings or programs or services, but we haven't done as well on the need to include the idea that we consider people from the beginning in our decision making. And I think our conversation on diversity and how it's evolved is reflective of that, that disability is kind of still an afterthought in a lot of the conversations we have. And we need to 
include disability as part of the conversation from the beginning. And we're getting there. I think that those conversations are happening, but they're not happening. The evolution still isn't at the pace that I'd like to see it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the duty to accommodate. It makes me think of a few months ago, I was talking with Sarnia, Ontario, Mike Bradley for a, an Odin business champion profile. He is one of Odin's uh, early business champions. And he said to me in the middle of that conversation, he said, you know, we should really get rid of the word accommodation and stop talking about it. Because he said, in this pandemic now and the way the workplace is changing, everybody's being accommodated. We're not just talking about people with disability anymore. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think I would go one step further. I think that when you when you use the language of accommodation, which I think has served us very well from a human rights point of view to get us where we are in disability, disability rights in Canada, um, you really, you, you focus on the need to, uh, that there's something wrong with the individual or that their disability is what's not working. Um, lots of countries are moving to the language of adjustment because adjustment talks about the environment. I adjust my workplace. I adjust my school uh, environment. Um, it's not about that there's something wrong with the person. There's something wrong with the environment. It's not inclusive enough. Um, I think we need to stop hiding behind the duty to accommodate. Um, and I think we'd be very well served. And I think the business community, quite frankly, are the leaders on this. Zara, what's your take on it? And so from a, a business community uh, perspective, if I reflect on uh, why, again, why gender and ethnicity and not as much diversity, I think it comes down to that that study that, that you mentioned uh, right when we started, which was that companies not recognizing and leveraging the significant value of the talent pool that's out there, right? So so this, um, this uh, study that, that Accenture uh, did in, in 2018 called Getting to, to Equal um, showed that, that companies that do embrace best practices for employing and supporting more persons with disabilities in their workforce actually outperform their peers. So that's the story. Um, and, and, and it's also um, to, to point out the fact that, that companies haven't leveraged uh, the, the talents of persons with disabilities for, for a number of reasons, and the top three being, one, um, there's a lack of understanding of the scope of the talent available. Um, there's a lack of understanding of these benefits, of the potential benefits. And frankly, on the accommodation um, conversation, there are misconceptions mm -hmm. about the cost versus right, the, the ROI or, or disability inclusion factor. And so if we want to move the needle, what we need to focus on from a corporate perspective is again coming down to looking at the benefits that that uh, that uh, companies have versus the accommodation lens. Well, you know, it's it's incredible the the way that this conversation is going because we're pulling out so many really important things. You know, we we try at Odin especially to talk a lot about these myths, um, about these misconceptions. And, uh, and we, we see studies like the one from Accenture. We see the efforts that, uh, that the federal government is doing and their leadership, even the provincial governments and, and municipalities, uh, you know, that people are trying to, to drive towards inclusive hiring. And, um, you know, but it really, it, kind of makes us pause sometimes for a second to say, you know, given all of that, like everything that you just said, Zara, about, uh, you know, the benefits and the business benefits and Carlo, the, 
the efforts that you're talking about that are happening uh, across the country, we, we sit back and we wonder, well, well, why are businesses still not using the talents of people who have a disability? What's, what's missing? Is there, is there, what else could we be doing? I guess, what could, could the government be doing? What could business leaders like Accenture be doing to, to address this? So minister, I'll, I'll ask you first. Really a good question. So as Zara said, the business case for hiring inclusively is undeniable. It's been well known for decades that, you know, the the piece around improved productivity or, you know, expanded consumer reach or just the fact that people with disabilities are great employees. We, you know, retention is higher or attendance is higher. Like this is all, this is all factually proven. Um, and quite frankly, it shouldn't, it wouldn't surprise anyone who has a disability or lives or knows with somebody with a disability because we're kind of innovative and creative, you know, out of necessity since we were born. We're all born into a world that wasn't made for us. Um, and yet there's a real disconnect. I think part of it is uh, incumbent on governments to be more uh, strategic in the way we support employment programming for people with disabilities. There's still a tendency to have a very um, charity focused model, not a business focus. So, you know, and, you know, we focus on um, the disability. How do I, you know, funding organizations who have a real understanding of disability, not as much understanding of business and what business needs. So there's also, it's like a mismatch. It's like, there's no dating service to get the people we know are out there into the jobs we also know are out there. But I think, you know, a bold move would be to really unapologetically support employers, spend time um, talking to employers, to chambers, to the business community using their language around um, the rationale for inclusive hiring. You know, if I, if, if I could tell you, you don't have access to 22% of the market because people can't get into your businesses, you, that might interest you to figure out how you could get those consumers accessing your, your products. Um, but we don't necessarily talk that way easily yet in the disability community. We don't talk business, for lack of a better way of putting it. So let me just ask you then on that, you know, you're talking about uh, that intentionality and the need for business focus. So do you think something like the fact that you're the federal minister of employment, workforce development, and disability inclusion. Do you think that that's an indication that Canada really is moving the needle forward on this? Well, I hope so. Um, it certainly was our intent. And I, I, I'm fascinated, even in the five years I've been in federal politics, how much the language of inclusion has evolved. Even if you think of my titles, my first title was Minister of Canadians with Disabilities. Then I was Minister of Accessibility. Now I'm Minister of Disability Inclusion, and we've paired it with employment. And we know the number one barrier to full participation is employment. You know, 60% of the complaints to the Human Rights Commission in Canada are on the ground of disability, and more than half of those are on the, in employment. There's a reason for that. It is a massive barrier to inclusion. Um, and allowing me to be responsible for both employment and disability is, is, is extraordinary um, in terms of an opportunity to really move the needle. Yeah, and, you know, we, we say uh, employment is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Of inclusion, it really is. Um, it's 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 what we drive towards. Uh, it's 
how we engage in our communities. It's how we often identify ourselves. Um, it's how we contribute to to our community, to the local economy, to the to the federal economy. Um, you know, so it is. It's it's so incredibly important. And I guess Zara, I'm wondering, what uh, what are your thoughts around around what uh, the minister is saying? Um. You know, the uh, Minister Qualtrough talked about um, the corporate language, and, and I think that that really resonated, right? The, the benefits are, are, are known, but I, I think in speaking to, um, to, to, to businesses and to the corporate world in their language, it's things like um, leading company, again, back to that, uh, that report that we referenced earlier, which says that leading companies that are working successfully toward disability inclusion have achieved tangible financial benefits. So, so that's what we um, that's what we focus on. Um, as an example of, of some of that, the research shows that um, on average, twice uh, these companies are twice as likely to have higher total shareholder returns than those of their peer group. Um, so, so I think that the message is it pays to be inclusive, yeah. um, and, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what, uh, what then? If that message then resonates with with companies, what we have to do then, though, is be more intentional about our disability uh, in it, disability inclusive hiring. So, I'll give you a, a couple of examples, maybe of, of things that that we're doing um, that that again help us. Um, set and, and keep moving the bar towards what we need to, to do. Uh, one of those is uh, it, it's about targets. It's about targets and it's, it's about reporting uh, on the numbers in our workforce. So, so how do we do this? In, in Canada, we've um, implemented um, something from the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. It's a diversity meter. Um, and that helps us understand both uh, our, our first people's experiences of inclusion, um, and it also informs our plans to enhance and advance the diversity of our workforce. So we take the outputs uh, of that meter and we, and we publish our demographics, the demographics of our Canadian workforce, uh, and again, that's by, by gender, by visible minority, uh, Indigenous peoples, persons with disabilities, uh, military and LGBTQ. So we publicly disclose those and we publish them um, to, to help drive uh, um, how it is that, that we are going to, again, make year-on-year -year improvement. So our most recent published numbers show that uh, our, our percentage in Canada for persons with disabilities in 2019 is 5.9%. And that gives us something Again, to right to work with and 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 um, and figure out how it is that we're going to, to make improvements towards those uh, towards our, our targets. Um, I, I guess second, we like other businesses um, that are taking a proactive and intentional stance are being more innovative in our hiring processes and also uh, reconsidering how to make disability hiring like truly inclusive so that in turn our workforce um, is more inclusive and diverse. And that actually leads to a really a really good point um, around you know addressing the the business benefits of intentional 
diversity and inclusion in your in your companies, uh, you will reap the benefits. Your your Accenture study, you know, we we look at that, and you know, it's interesting. Dean and I were having a conversation about uh, gathering stats and getting information, and we we said, you know, why why does there seem to be such a shortage of Canadian data? Um, so that so it's it's so encouraging to see that you've um, started to use the diversity meter with the uh, Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion uh, CCDI does some some really good education and awareness and uh, and have some great tools but I want to jump on to that one of the last comments that you were talking about around um, how how people can make their processes more inclusive make it more accessible um, because we know that there's a labor shortage in mm -hmm. this country uh, we we track the trends around uh, the different sectors that are experiencing shortages now or are forecasting huge shortages in the future. And, um, you know, that's why we're driving it, the, the need to make inclusive hiring that business as usual. Uh, it needs to get embedded right into the very fabric and culture of, of companies and throughout all of their departments. So what's your best advice to all of these businesses that still aren't accessing the disability talent pool? And I'm going to, I'm just going to let you decide who wants to answer this one first. <laughs> well, let Sarah go and then I'll sweep up because this is a, this is right in her wheelhouse. Sure. So, so in, in, in terms of advice, Jeanette, perhaps I'll, I'll give a, a couple of examples again of, of things that we um, are, are doing and, 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 con and continually striving to improve on in, in terms of things that we can do. So, so um, examples are working with organizations in, in, uh, in uh, companies, uh, local business community that can connect them to, to talented individuals who are ready um, to work uh, given the, the, the necessary uh, adjustments that, that may be required. It's about uh, expanding um, where we look for, for these individuals. So what career fairs do we go to? What networking um, events do we go to? Um, and in Canada, I think we at Accenture largely attribute um, our success in sourcing and, and hiring uh, peoples with disabilities to, to, to three uh, key factors. Um, one is actively participating in, in these uh, networking events and working with community partners. So, so we have seen that uh, be a success. Um, emphasizing that um, the, the adjustment uh, process and accessibility is, is, a, is a priority. Um, and, and in fact, I can, I can speak uh, a bit later perhaps to a, 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 a global process that, that we've rolled out uh, around that. Um, and then third, it is with, in working within our organization with uh, champions of, of uh, like we call them diversity and inclusion uh, champions so that um, you know, we have dedicated recruiters within our dedicated recruiting team. We have diversity champions. We have employee resource groups within those uh, employee resource groups. We have um, champions that are, are uh, focused on on that particular uh, area that 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 resource group employee resource group is focused on. So, so I think that the concept of, of champions is is another example and, and something else that uh, that I would recommend. And then, though that's although we're talking about um, the inclusive hiring, once um, once people are hired, it is also though about keeping up with the needs of the people uh, that that are hired and, and staying on top of the 
you know, any, any adjustments uh, that, that are required and, and really being uh, creating that inclusive environment um, where, where, you know, a, a, a communication is open and, and again, people are able to get the resources that, that they require. You know, I completely agree. I would, I would add, you know, the federal government is the largest employer in Canada and we are working very hard to get our own house in order in terms of our numbers of, of underrepresented groups and, and participation in our workforce as a federal government. And I would say one of the biggest barriers that we continue to face is a discomfort with self-identification, with kind of admitting, and I use that word intentionally, or disclosing you have a disability. Because historically that hasn't served us very well. Um, and it feels extremely vulnerable to, you know, so I, I always lift my hat to companies that create an environment or have a corporate culture that not only champions people with disability, but creates a safe place within their company for people to self-disclose um, and self-identify. And I think that that is, I know I've, I've really worked hard in the federal government to um, shift the conversation around you know the burden of disclosing and the consequence and we've done some really um simple straightforward things that have had incredible um results in terms of making it okay um and making people feel confident self-identifying or self-disclosing um you know it's uh, it used to be that individual departments had specific line items related to the cost of accommodation. And that meant that if a, if there was more people with disabilities needing accommodations within a department, um, their budget would have to be more. And, and somehow that discouraged managers from taking the steps necessary to be more inclusive because they would then have to justify their expenses to their bosses. And we have done away with that. We actually have a centralized accommodation fund that is not attributed to any particular department. That has massively opened up the conversation around adjustments or accommodations. We have a dedicated deputy minister responsible for federal government accessibility. Her entire job is figuring out ways to be more inclusive in our hiring, in our retention, in our promotion, in our talent identification as a government of Canada. What are the barriers to advancement? Why is it that we have a decent rate uh, at entry level positions, but not at deputy minister level of, of, so it's been very interesting kind of getting our own house in order as we've tried to, to walk the talk of inclusion and accessibility in the government of Canada. It sounds like what you're saying is still attitude is yep. really almost everything. I believe so. Yes. Inclusion is a, it's a winning solution. That's at everybody's in, in business. Anyway, it's at everybody's fingertips, but, but and and the big but is you've got to do certain things i mean how do we you know what do we need to do to kickstart people and boot them to the checkered flag well i think it's the the for me anyway watching business and corporate canada evolve to the point where we're even having these podcasts it's been so encouraging because the the leadership of the business community in Canada has been quite significant and has been felt around the world. I mean, it's no, it's no surprise to me that when I go and travel and not so much these days, of course, but I hear about companies and business and businesses in Canada that have figured this out or a division of a global company in Canada has cracked the nut first. And then now we're doing this around the world. 
Um, I think we've done a lot of, of heavy lifting in Canada to kickstart these conversations. I think that now we got to figure out how to take it to scale. You know, it's, there's a lot of good work being done by a lot of companies, but not all companies, not all small businesses in particular. Um, we got to figure out how to, how to scale this up to normal um, and not it be exceptional like it continues to be. How much impact do you think the, the valuable 500 initiative is, is going to have on all of this, especially when you say the valuable 500 is about getting, you know, the corporate leaders from Canada and around the world on board. But, you know, how do we get that, you know, down the chain to the small businesses in the country that really are the backbones of the economy? And how do we do it when we don't have um, dedicated HR uh, resources in a tinier, smaller business, or we don't have necessarily diversity and inclusion experts or champions in a, a business with under five employees. But, you know, small businesses are 97% of businesses in Canada, I think, and high 90s anyway. How do, we, how do we support smaller businesses in their hiring? Because a lot, again, a lot of businesses are hiring, but it's usually because they know someone or they have a personal connection to, to disability. It isn't a um, necessarily a strategic corporate choice, if you will. Zara, mm -hmm. maybe you can help us. I, I guess if I if I look at it from the 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 um, the, the five hundred the, the large corporations and uh, the the view from there, and again trying to reflect on on some of the things that we're going through at Accenture. Um, you spoke about this uh, uh, previously, Minister, which was just dispelling the myth of the cost of accommodation. Mm -hmm. So, right, companies think that that uh, accommodation and adjustments come with a higher cost, but they don't. Um, uh, uh, back to this this study, it, it was a, a U.S.-based study, but it found that 59% um, of accommodations actually didn't cost anything, and the the, the rest. Uh, costed, uh, you know, no more than uh, perhaps five uh, five hundred per employee was was what the the uh, the study found. So so um, back to what it is that we need to do to help businesses better understand and better embrace um, the the changes that we need to make is to dispel some of these myths. Accommodations do not cost, no, and and the power of inclusion. I guess goes uh, goes above um, and beyond that. And it's it's you know that brings up sort of this current situation that we're in right now. So we're in a global pandemic. We've got COVID nineteen. It's changed the way that we work, and we find that it's actually bringing up to the surface conversations that have been left um, to happen quietly amongst maybe a few people and one of those big things is around accommodation you know so you're both bringing that up is that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions around the costs and and the uh, the burden um it, you know even the very language that's built yeah. into some of it is is so negative and yet at the drop of a hat the entire world started to switch over to things like working from home that if you had asked to do that as an accommodation uh, even 10 months ago right. you would have had companies tell you like it's this just isn't possible and yet we were talking to a, a, a national uh, insurance company about 
their transition and we were talking to the VP of finance and she said, if you told me I was going to be approving uh, payroll for 12,000 people from my kitchen table two months <laughs> ago, I would have said that's never going to happen. And I said, so has your thoughts changed around this concept of working from home? It doesn't cost anything. And I just, I wanted to sort of jump onto to one of those points and I can see that Dean's burning to ask a question as well, because it's such a good conversation. But uh, Minister, going back to, to what you started to talk about around the small to medium enterprises, and Zara, you, you also talked about that. You know, one of the challenges is what you've named. These are small to medium enterprises that don't have uh, HR departments, that might not have on online processes and portals for applications. And... Um, and so it makes me think that this is an opportunity here, and I want your opinions on this, where, where we could be leveraging the investment that the government is already making through the social system. Yeah. So we have employment service providers. I mean, Odin is a network of employment service providers. These are organizations all across the country. And for us, we have about 150 in our membership alone, and that's a drop in the bucket in Ontario, that are there to support small to medium enterprises, to act as that HR, to uh, yeah. support businesses, to teach them and train them on how to be an inclusive, diverse employer, and, and how to be successful past the point of just hiring so that we do get those retention numbers so that there is promotion. So is there something that you can recommend that we should be doing as a, as a, uh, as a province, as a country to make sure that, that business knows that this support is there for them? Wow. I mean, I think, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, I would get us out of the business of accommodation writ large. I would, I would start talking about the productivity of our employees. Every single person on this planet can be put in an environment in which they produce to their maximum capacity in which they thrive. And for you, it will be different than for me. And so, you know, I think of something as analogous as, you know, some of our kids at school have these individual education plans and it's targeted and it, it, it brings the best out of them and helps them learn and thrive. You know, if every company had an individual employee plan, you know, not whether you have a disability or not, when you work, do you like to stand up? Do you like to sit down? Do you like bright light? Do you like soft light? Would you prefer to work at home? Do you need a longer lunch? Do you need to take an hour and a half off at three to go pick up your kid? Do you have to, would you prefer, like there's so many things we could do to normalize you know, maximizing individual potential that doesn't then put the burden on of exception on an employee with disability. Just yeah. how we could talk about, um, you know, basically squeezing the most productivity as we can out of everybody who works for us and whatever that looks like for that person. Um, for someone with a disability, it might need a bigger monitor or a different piece of software. But for someone without a disability, it might be a different chair because they have back problems or it might be a desk that they want to stand up at. That's not always seen as an accommodation if you don't have a disability. It's just, I like this desk instead of another desk. But effectively, it's an accommodation, Absolutely. right? So I think, and I'm not talking, I, I apologize, I'm not answering your small business <laughs> question um, because my mind just went to this obsession I have with, with reframing the conversation around accommodation. Um, but small businesses are tapped into vast networks of support, whether it is Odin, Odin sorry, or chambers of commerce or mm -hmm. insurance companies or 
And I think that, you know, those are the, the groups we got to start talking to as, as governments and as, as um, business leaders, people who are ahead of the pack on this conversation to really help uh, make it easier for smaller companies to a see the benefits so even just get the messaging out around the business case it's not permeating i speak at you know uh, business associations and chambers of commerce about the business case all the time and people still like it's not a common language yet mm -hmm. um and then be dispelling the myths of how much this costs this does not cost a lot i think the average we did a study in bc the average accommodation quote unquote was under 200 dollars I'm legally blind. I literally have 10% vision corrected. I need a different piece of software and a bigger screen. I'm pretty much good to go to help run the country. Like it is not a, it is not a massive investment to get the most productivity out of me as a cabinet minister to buy a piece of software and another piece of equipment. Um, it will for some people. And, and that's okay too, because you're gonna get the most productivity out of them. Um, but this idea that it costs so much, it, it's cost prohibitive, and that makes it okay. Really, we need to tackle that. Yeah, absolutely. So how frustrating is it? I mean, here we are in the, the start of the third decade of the 21st century. How frustrating is it that we still have to talk about you know, busting the myths of, of disability and, you know, making people understand the business case. I mean, does it, you know, does it really irk you sometimes? How does it... <laughs> well, I am a politician who is not allowed to be irked. So I will, I will tell you though, I think we've come a long way. I think the fact that we have the Accessible Canada Act now, that we are shifting um, the burden of uh, barrier removal away from individuals and individual companies, I would say, to uh, to governments and to larger entities is a huge advancement in disability rights. I think, you know, it's been, we've put so much of the burden uh, historically on individuals to fight these fights, to remove barriers, to, you know, get at accessibility or inclusion company by company division by division and we've set in place a system where we're going to have national standards including standards on employment including standards on hiring I, I as much as it feels frustrating maybe at, at, on a day-to-day -day basis I I think we have come quite a long way I think we have a lot longer uh, way to go um, but I, I refuse to, to think that um, we haven't made significant progress over the past three or four decades. So where would you say we are now? I mean, what's your ultimate vision of, you know, of inclusion, especially when it comes to employment? Where are we now? And what's your ultimate vision of where you want us to be in this country? Big question. I think, I mean, I go back to my idea that, you know, we won't have disability inclusion writ large in this country until everyone has an equal opportunity to participate and reach their full potential, whatever that is for you, for me, for, for somebody else. And in employment, you know, we, we talked and maybe this is the positive way to end this. Employment is, is empowering. It's independence. It's, it's participation. Employment really unlocks the doors to a lot of the equality rights that we still have to fight for in, in disability uh, rights movements, if you will. Employment's key to a lot of that. Now, there's a good discussion to be had of whether it should be, whether we put too much value on employment, but the reality is we do. Um, 
and we have a responsibility. You know, I actually think it's, it's also kind of self-interested as employment minister with a shrinking workforce. I need to get every single working age Canadian out there in a job contributing, paying taxes, and businesses need to think of it that way too. There's a very self-interested motivation that we should all be a little more aware of um, in terms of the untapped labor pools in our country and, and the need to get every single person who um, who's of working age contributing because that's how we're going to keep flourishing as a country economically. I want to ask you both, you know, what are some of the key ways do you think that that businesses can really charge up that power of inclusion so that they can you know have those benefits so they can stay competitive in the long term so their employees can succeed in the workplace and so there's culture change and that everybody wins minister i feel like i'm monopolizing the conversation but i i think that it it really starts as you said with the attitudinal piece um and and at the same time, I say that, and then I remember what Zara just said, like, we also have this data, we have this language, we have proof points that, you know, if you're not there yet, um, in terms of, you know, buying into this whole inclusion thing, um, you should at least understand business and you should at least understand that this is fundamentally good for your business and will improve your productivity and bottom line. Um, the more diverse your workforce is, the more inclusive um, your practices are, the more um, evolved your organizational culture has become. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. We have to, sh you know, we, we prove to businesses that this is good for business and then people, you know, buy into the more include, you know, broader inclusion conversation or vice versa. I, I don't know, Zara, what do you think? I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Um, it, it, I guess, not only does it come down to uh, for, for businesses um, uh, proving the, that that there are some right, in, in business speak as we said earlier there are some tangible financial benefits to to um, to uh, to inclusive hiring but then also um, the, the inclusive and, and diverse workforce makes for an innovative workforce it makes yeah. for a better workforce it's what your clients are looking for uh, right it it, uh, it makes for um, overall it it will make your corporate strategy go further than, than it would have without it so so I think it's that all all inclusive using the word inclusive again view to what it is that we need to do to, to again move the bar and I think it's not just seeing people with disabilities as potential um employees but seeing us as consumers seeing us as um a you know a, a 55 i think it's 55 billion dollar you know spending power potential i have a disability if i can't get into your business i can't work there but i also can't shop there and i can't eat there if you're a restaurant and by the way the 10 people who are with me they're not going to eat at your restaurant there either if i can't eat there i i'm I'm an organizer looking to have a 3,000 person convention and I need 25 accessible rooms in a hotel. And if your hotel doesn't have those rooms, you're gonna lose out on a 3,000 person convention. I mean, it's really understanding that this goes beyond, when you're talking about 20% of the population, this is a consumer base. This is a political base. This is, this is this, this group of citizens has a potential for a significant impact economically, politically, um, and otherwise that that 
you know, this is this is also happening around us as 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 the movement advances. So it, it's fascinating. You know, you've both provided some incredible insights in in this conversation this afternoon. Have we covered? Do you think we've covered? You know, the really the key, the core, the essential. Is there anything we haven't talked about? Do you think is important to mention before we wrap up this first episode? Minister, do you want to go first? Probably. <laughs> you know, I think we've had an excellent conversation, um, and of course, I always get super jazzed being able to. This is this is my personal passion. Um, I think that you know, I, my message to everybody is just to keep having these really important conversations to really the, the myth busting, the um, getting at the assumptions, getting at the comfort we have in Canada with reaction and accommodation instead of proaction and inclusion and just keeping up these these opportunities to have government and business contribute to the same conversation. It's very fruitful and I really appreciate the opportunity. Perhaps I, I, I would um, add, uh, I, I mentioned it in, in passing up, up front, but you know something that I found, I think that works well uh, within the, the, the corporate climate or within the corporate culture at Accenture is this whole notion that the, the messaging and the culture building is, is from the top. And um, if, it, if it starts there, uh, and then is is throughout the organization. I, I think that is a big piece in in what I I think is is currently helping us and 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 helps us as we evolve towards an even more inclusive culture at Accenture. So so that's one thing perhaps I would stress. And then the other one again that I that I touched on earlier is we we find um, within Accenture these champions. Of, of all things diversity and inclusion. So uh, that how, figuring out within organizations how it is that we find these champions and then drive these champions and then get their help to, to help us um, to take the, the strategy forward again as, as we evolve in our, in our conversations on all things uh, inclusion and, and diversity is, um, is something that, uh, that all uh, uh, businesses, I think, perhaps uh, can, can make better use of. You know, I think that you've probably given us enough uh, in this conversation that it sounds like we need to do a four-part series just with the <laughs> two of you. Um, and and I'm sure that four-part series will lead to four more because you're right. This is a this is a huge conversation. It's a really important conversation, um, and we are just we are so thankful to the both of you for coming on and joining us on this show and uh, for sharing all of these insights with us. Uh, this has been the first episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, and we've been talking with Carla Qualtro, Canada's Federal Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability Inclusion, as well Zara Jadavji, Accenture Managing Director and Accenture's Inclusion and Diversity Lead for Canada. And I'm Jeanette Campbell. I'm Dean Askin. Wherever you're listening from, thanks for listening to this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. And join us for a new episode every month as we look at the power of inclusion, disability employment, and the business benefits of DNI from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network. All rights reserved. 
Our podcast production team, executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell. Our producer is Sue Defoe, associate producer and host, and audio production, Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odinnetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. You can't spell inclusion without a D. Join us each month for insights from expert guests as we explore the power of inclusion, the business benefits of inclusive hiring, and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.